as we start our fourth session, what will we do in heaven? What will we do there? A glimpse of heaven. That's what we're talking about. The, the theme scriptures, John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So again, we've talked about literally a place, not uh, some ethereal, spiritual kind of concept, but a place, a place where we do things, a place where we see God face to face, and we've uh, talked a little bit about that last week. This week, we want to spend some time, we've, we've covered who will be there in session one. In session two, what will it look like? Session three, what will we look like? Plus animals and food. Kind of got thrown in there as well. So if you want to know about animals and pets and food, get last week's session. But, um, and tonight, what will we do there? And um, spend some time. And kind of to start off with is maybe talk about some things we won't do there. Um, we're not going to go to the doctor, not going to go to the pharmacy, not going to go to funerals, no more midnight emergency visits with the kids to the emergency room, right? Don't have to worry about repainting the house. It's made of gold, and it's not uh, going to rust. Or, um, in, in a book by Ron Rhodes on the wonder of heaven, he quotes some things that some children said about heaven, and there was one that struck me particularly, and it's by a little 10-year-old girl named Claire, and she said, Heaven is nothing like earth. There are no scary dreams, no thunderstorms, and no bullies. I imagine streets of gold, a beautiful landscape, high mountains, and fresh green valleys, and all of that is exactly biblical. Everything she imagined. No more scary dreams or thunderstorms. And we have in the new Jerusalem a high mountain and fresh green valleys and beautiful landscape. But the one thing that we, the kind of the, the penultimate, penultimate being the second most important thing that we will not do there is we will not sin. You know, we finally will have that freedom from our bondage to sin, that we will never sin again. John 8.29, we will be like Jesus. And he says, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That will be us. We will always do the things that please God. We will never, ever, ever, ever again do something that does not Please God in all that we do there. It will be pleasing to God, whether it's eating all that food we talked about last week and those feasts, um, whether the fellowship we have with one another, whatever it might be, it will all be pleasing to God. But let's look and get, get down to a few particulars about what, what we will do there. And the first one I want to talk about is learn. We are going to continue to learn more about God and more about his creation. And let's look at some verses that talk about that. Matthew 11, 27 
through 30. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this concept, we're going to learn from God, the Son, for all eternity. He's going to reveal the Father to us. He's going to reveal more each day, if we can use that term, but more each day in heaven about the Father. He will continue to reveal things about him. And it's all encompassed in a concept of rest. And we'll talk about rest in a little bit, but... um, he will reveal the Father. And then Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, Paul says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, so the ages to come, our future, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We will learn from all eternity the exceeding riches of God's grace towards us. And it's so infinite that it will take all eternity. We will learn and continue to learn about that. So we learn from Christ. We learn from the Father. And then John fourteen sixteen and fourteen twenty six, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. And then verse 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, contextually, this was given to the apostles, bringing the remembrance of what Jesus taught. But in the broader context, we're all given the Holy Spirit. We're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit upon salvation, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And it says he will abide with us forever. He's not going to do nothing. He will abide with us forever and continue to teach us all things. Now, those, remember when we talked, we've talked, you know, there are certain things we're going to see that are concrete, and then there are certain things we see that are inductive, where we learn things from the Scripture and we kind of say, what does that mean? And, well, we learn, and he's going to teach us all things. Um, what does all mean when it says all things? And so a lot of people have different opinions to the, about that. You know, will he teach us, you know, mathematics? Well, there are those of you who have a love of math, uh, especially since mathematics seems to be strangely um, a discipline that is very uh, has to only be created by God when you really get into it. And when you, I know there are some of you who probably aren't math aficionados, but some of us actually do like it. And when you see things like distribution of prime numbers or golden ratios or prime numbers and things like that, when you really get involved in it, you understand only God could create some of these things that, that exists because man, man, you know, can't even understand them, much less. Yes. <laughs> and then there's a number, you, you know about pi. Well, there's, there's also a number called, believe it or not, it's called wow. That even has stranger properties. If you really get interested in that, there, you can go online and read about wow, properly named. But all things, could it be music? Could we all learn about music? You know, especially since there's that relationship between those two. Maybe we're going to talk a little bit about music in a little bit. But, but the concept is God is going to teach us all things. Now, some, some say, does that mean 
that each day we're going to sit down in front of Christ and, and well, remember we're going to have many, many, many millions of us there based upon our first study where we talked about how many of the redeemed are there and that just in the tribulation period over 250 million are saved. So there's many of us there. So maybe the Lord, since the Holy Spirit is indwelling each one of us, might use us to teach as he is tonight. He might use us to learn as hopefully all of us are learning. So maybe we might sit down and learn physics with Isaac Newton, who is a believer, or we you know, might learn wordsmithing with C.S. Lewis, or you know, maybe music composition with Johann Sebastian Bach, who is a believer. We might learn how to cook ribs from Jeff Paisano and finally understand how to do it. You know? It seems reasonable that God would use the skill set that he has given us on earth, maybe, in a redeemed sense, to use to teach others for those of you that want to learn music or want to learn these things. It's possible. One thing that we know we're going to do there is we're going to rest. Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4, 1, and then 8 through 11. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For if Joshua had given them rest, and starting in verse 8, he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. A rest, a promise of rest, not only a promise of rest, an actuality of rest. You really will rest. Um, go back to a creation ordinance. The creation ordinance. The, the Sabbath day was not just a mosaic you know, law ordinance. It goes all the way back to creation. The, the model of creation is a model. God worked for six days in creating the world, and then he rested. Um, our Sabbath day that uh, is prescribed in Scripture from the Mosaic Law and then into the Lord's Day in the New Testament. It's a time devoted to the Lord. It's not a time of inactivity. It's not a time of not doing anything. It's, but it's not about our works. It's a time that's devoted to God. It's a time that's devoted to Him. It's a time that's a holy activity for spiritual reflection, for renewal of the spirit, of the mind, the soul, the body. And it's also a day for service, and a day for worship. So we have, we have a Sabbath day concept that we have in Scripture that, that we see. And then it goes further. It talks about a Sabbath year. In the Mosaic Law, the, the Jews could only plant the fields for six years. And then on the seventh year, the, the seventh sabbatical year, they had to not sow the field. And it was a year of rest for the production of the land. And then we take it even one step further. We go to what's called the Jubilee year. And every seven sabbatical years, so every 49 years, we had another year of rest. But it had something more special. It was still a year that you couldn't sow the land. But something glorious happened in that year. And it's a model. It's a model of what we're talking about. In the Jubilee year, all slaves were set free. All slaves in the land of Israel whether they be Jewish or whether they not be from any other Gentile nation, they were set 
free. And our sabbatical rest is a sabbatical rest of being set free for all eternity. We're set free from this fallen nature. We're set free to rest in the Lord, to rest in what he's done for us, not in our works, but in what he's done. And so we see this you know, Sabbath day, Sabbath year, Jubilee year, eternity. The, the ultimate Sabbath is eternity, where we will rest for all eternity. It's a promise, and it's a reality. But as we said when we talked about this, it's not a day of inactivity in the Sabbath day, nor is it a day of inactivity for us in eternity. We're going to be doing some things that relate to that. We're going to serve. So one of the things that we'll be doing is serving, Revelation 7.15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Now that's a look into the current intermediate state of heaven where those around the throne are serving him. But it's also a concept of what we will be doing with the Lord for all eternity. And it's, it's um, there's a word for servant that you might have heard called doulos in the Greek. And it's a bond servant, what we normally think of a slave. And um, that word isn't used here. The word that's used here is a word called latreo, and it's a servant that the aspect of it is about worship and service to the king, worship and service to God. So when it, in Revelation, when it talks about us serving him, it's talking about us worshiping him. It's talking about all that we do will be a worship of God because all that we do will be pleasing to him. We will not sin. We will not do any of those things that cause God consternation as he looked down upon the earth and sees men sinning. But he knew the final conclusion. God has caused us all to come to a point in eternity where all we want to do is to serve him. All we want to do is to worship him. Sometimes when we hear that word, at least I do, I'm it upon you, but at least when you think of serving, you think of work, and you think of it in the context of where we are right now, and we're in a fallen state. And we have to remember that work existed pre-fall. Adam was a gardener, okay? He was a zoologist, right? He was a husbandman. He was an administrator and a governor. He had domain of the entire earth. He tended to the garden. These things were all prior to the fall. They were all things that he did in the power and the service of the Lord. And so again, as we talk about serving, we go back to, remember we said, you know, when we look at, at how it might be and how Adam was, it's not gonna, we're not going back to a situation where we were just like Adam. We're going back to a situation where we are better than Adam. Adam had the opportunity to fall. We won't. Uh, all that we do will be pleasing to him. And so we're going to do these things in the power of the Lord who indwells us day and night. And it's all going to be worship to him. It's all going to be pleasing to him. Now, a lot of commentators, when, they, when we talk about, you know, they think about Eden and that heaven being in kind of an Edenic situation. And, and a lot of them, like if in the bookstore, we have Randy Alcorn's book on heaven, very heavily, the concept of a super Eden. 
Um, even Jonathan Edwards kind of believed in a super Eden concept. If you remember, we, uh, when we, we, well, we'll leave that for the next section. Jonathan Edwards on uh, our, our, his um, resolutions. We'll talk about that in a second. But they thought about men building cities and raising livestock and fishing and hang gliding from the high mountain maybe, you know, because it's the high, you know, we have a mountain in the middle of the city that's maybe 1,400 miles high. If you're going to like to hang glide, why not hang glide when you know you're not going to die? <laughs> And you're not going to be scared, and there's no fear of death. There's no fear of those things. All these things that we might be doing, those are all kind of on the speculative side. We don't know. But it does seem reasonable that all things are new, that we're not just sitting around doing nothing. We're sitting around praising God. We're moving around and doing the things God wants us to do, praising him, um, serving him on the throne. Revelation 22.3 on your, I'm not sure if that's on your handout actually, but 22.3 says this, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And so the concept of, of service should not be a concept that we think about in the fallen state. It should be the concept of how we serve him pre-fall. And also get the concept of still that from Philippians 2 to different, that God also serves us. Remember last week we talked about the millennial feast, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In uh, Revelation 19.9, there we said, Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And then in Isaiah we have a picture of that feast. Isaiah 25.6, And in this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the leaves, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the leaves. But the key word is there is the Lord of hosts will make. God, even in eternity, even in the and at least here in the millennial state, we have he's serving us. He's making for us a feast. And so we, service shouldn't be a view of a negative you know, context. It's a, it's a service before the Lord our God, our King, in the house of the Lord. And he too will serve us. Luke 12, 35 through 37, another verse speaking of the future. Lest your, and this was a parable that, that Christ was talking about, uh, about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Luke 12, 35 through 37, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, assuredly, can I get that? So I say to you that he, meaning the master, will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So even in the concept of the future, that Christ continues to serve us, his bride his precious inheritance, and we will serve him. One of the areas that's very hotly kind of discussed is the concept of rewards in heaven. Um, and I'm not gonna, I've, I've given you a bunch of verses there, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight just for the sake of time as I um, have gone through what we're, we're going to 
review, but um, remember that resolution from Edwards I talked about, Jonathan Edwards, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. And uh, there was some context of something that he did here that would obtain happiness for him there. Um, as it relates to rewards, everybody receives certain rewards. We all receive the crown of life. Every single believer will have the crown of life. Um, every uh, believer is going to have um, eternal life. Is going to, every believer is going to have a place, we talked about, in the house of God, in the New Jerusalem. And so there are certain rewards that every believer has. There's also rewards that not every believer has. For example, in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, it says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so there's a crown of glory that relates to the faithful ministering of the word, and the faithful uh, shepherding of the flock. That's for those who do that. For those that, um, says in, in other areas, that receive a prophet, receive a prophet's reward. And so there's different things that relate to other um, rewards. But the Kind of the clue that I think that we have to understand is like we will be in a state where there's no envy, there's no jealousy, there's only love for your brethren who are, are all there. And whatever reward someone else might receive is not going to cause you dis... You know, if we were sitting at the Olympics, how often do we... I mean, people stand up, hundreds of thousands, cheering for people who receive a reward. You know, if I walk around and I, I see Moses and he's got the reward for suffering the Israelites for 40 years. And I say, well, you, you, know, you definitely work for that, bud, you know, because those, those people in the desert were pretty harsh to him and, and so on if there's a reward. For each of us, there's a reward. For each of us, there's a stone with a new name on it. Remember that on the first night, we each get a new name that only God and only it gives to us. So we each get a... A new name, rewards. So there's some verses to spend some time with to go through and, and um, look at the crowns. There's at least five crowns. But the, the, there's a parable, and here's where I kind of want to end this kind of section. There's a parable that Jesus talks about servants. There's two of them, one on, on talents and, and one on, uh, in two different sections of the Gospels. And it talks about him going away and leaving entrusting assets with servants and that they're to invest them. And when he returned, some invested them and there was tenfold and some fivefold and, and then there was one that didn't do anything and he, he uh, um, had no increase. And um, along the way, the, the Lord says, you know, for those that had overcharge over ten cities, they now will have more cities to be in charge over and those of five would have more and... and um, these rewards that we see him giving in this example have a unique substance to them. And that in these cases, all of these rewards seem to relate 
to the opportunity for greater service. You will be, you know, you're, you're in charge over this. I will not. You will be in charge of five cities. You're in charge of this. You'll be in charge of ten cities. You'll be this. And the concept that in these parables is it's not about you're going to have a bigger house. It's not going to be that, you know, you're, whatever it is, you're going to have a golden sash that everybody has to bow down to. It's going to be that you're going to have the opportunity to provide greater service to your Lord and King. And um, that's the context that I see in those parables where he talks about this. And you have this many talents, so I'm going to give you more talents. You know, it's going to be talents to serve the Lord. It's going to be talents to praise and worship him. And that kind of leads into that, that ruling over cities because one of the things that we're promised to do is to rule and to reign with Christ. First, in Zechariah 14.9, we know that Christ reigns. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day it shall be. The Lord is one and his name one. And then in Revelation 3.21, we're given this promise, that to him who overcomes... And when you read that in Scripture, especially in Revelation, because it comes up a lot in Revelation, especially in the, in the uh, chapters to the churches and letters to the churches. And remember, the Apostle John wrote this by being delivered a message from the Lord and then the inspiration of the Spirit in his vision. But John tells us the key to that. Who is the one who overcomes? It's not the guy who works really hard or does all these things. Because in, in the... In the epistles of John, John clearly tells us that he who overcomes is the one who has faith in Christ. And the basis of overcoming is Christ and our faith in him. It is not our works. And John, I mean, you can go to the the epistles of John, and he makes that very, very clear in his epistles. And this is John writing this, and he's saying, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're going to be able to be on the throne with Christ. What does that entail? Being on the throne implies some matter of ruling. But it gets a little bit more clear. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 says, And they sang a new song. We, we talked a little bit about why we believe that's the church, the redeemed. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Luke twenty-two twenty-nine through 30. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Revelation 2.26, And he who overcomes, again, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. So we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Who are we ruling over? Well, it seems at least in a millennial context, we're ruling over nations and we're ruling over the tribes of Israel. Um, Outside of that, we don't know. I mean, we do know that we're going to judge angels. I'm assuming that it's judging fallen angels, but I guess it could be judging the elect angels. But I'm assuming that in 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul talks about that, he's saying you're going to judge angels. Um, but whatever we do, we're going to be with Christ. We're going to rule with him as joint heirs. He's going to give us the knowledge, 
the wisdom, the power to do that administration and that ruling. And he says we're going to rule over much. Matthew 25, 23, our last verse on that sheet for this section. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And the many things just is really many, much, a lot. It's not really a thing there. There's That thing's kind of added. It's I will make you ruler over much. And so as believers, we're going to rule and reign with Christ to carry out his mission for eternity, whatever that mission is beyond what we know. So we're going to... We're going to rest, we're going to serve, we're going to eat, we're going to do some things, but probably the most important um, is we're going to worship. Okay? And when you get to Revelation, the word loud is used 22 times, 22 different verses. I've given you about five of them here, and let's read them. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. That was Revelation 5.2 and then Revelation 5.12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 19.1 After these things I heard a loud voice of great multitude in heaven saying that's our voices, right? It's a loud voice of the multitude in heaven. Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Revelation 19.17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. The marriage supper of the Lamb is what there is being referred to. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven's going to be loud. Um, If you don't like loud music or loud worship, well, God's going to change you. I mean, our new bodies, you will like loud worship and loud music. Um. All that we do is going to be an act of worship. And the, re- the, re- the reason I say music, and I, I, first we know from, and I've got the two verses there, from, from Moses building the, the tabernacle. We have in Exodus 25:40, and it says, And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which is shown you on the mountain. So God is giving Moses some instruction. He's saying there's a pattern. I want you to follow this. And go down and, and I want you to build a tabernacle. And Hebrews 8.5 says, Who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The pattern, Hebrews is telling us, is the pattern that was given to Moses on the mountain was a shadow of what's going on in heaven. Okay? So we have a shadow in the tabernacle and in the temple. Well, let's look a little bit at what's going on in the tabernacle and the temple. And we'll look at First Chronicles 16, 1 through 6. And so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. 
Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And then we have a bunch of names here, and I'm not going to try to pronounce all of them for you, but um, what we know is we have Jael with stringed instruments and harps, and we have Asaph who made music with cymbals, and we have Benaiah and Jehazel, the priests who regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. And you can go into a similar passage in Nehemiah 12 that I have there listed for you, and you can see this course of worshipers in the temple. Just like there was a course of priests, there seemed to be a course of worshipers. And what we have here, at least if this is a shadow of what's in heaven, we have heavenly worship teams. Okay? We've got a string section. We've got harps. We've got a horn section. Right? We've got percussions. We've got a heavenly worship team for loud music. You know, here's what's interesting is they're sitting there with a cake of raisin. They're sitting there with food. You know, maybe we might be sitting there with food at a symphony where, you know, Handel plays his piece, Messiah, that we all celebrate about every Christmas. Or Johann Sebastian Bach, who wrote the song, Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring. Maybe we might sit as he's conducting the heavenly I don't think there's any doubt that if it's a shadow of what is in heaven is that the Lord God has the best music around him and in all different kinds and probably instruments we don't know about. And maybe, since we're all kings and priests as well, we might all be worship team members at some point in time because we all learned music earlier. Remember when we were learning all things and we were learning some music, maybe we might be in that. A lot of things that we talked about, especially the last two times, were, you know, we have allusions, scriptures to things and, you know, what might be. But I want to I wanna finish with what we know. Okay? And we know that there are a number of promises in the scripture about heaven. And let's read them. Let's, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our afflictions in this life result in glory in the eternal. It's a promise. Isaiah 25, 8, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Death is abolished. It's swallowed up forever. It's gone. Tears. Uh, Tears of, of pain, tears of sorrow, 
gone forever. Psalm 116.15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's a pretty, kind of a strange one as a promise. But precious is our death because we will then be with Christ. We're his bride. We're his precious people. He longs in the, in the sense of however we can use that, but for us to be with him. He says he doesn't know the day or the hour the Father knows, but he goes and he prepares a place for us to go and be with him. John eight fifty one. most assuredly, like those words, assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And so we're promised eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15.54 So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up and we are victorious because we're in Christ. Christ is victorious. Christ is victorious and we're in him. We are victorious. 2 Corinthians 5.1 for if we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to have resurrection, resurrected, glorified bodies, whatever that looks like when we get there, for all eternity, never to get sick again. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. We're going to have eternal life, and it's going to be an abundant life. We talked about some of those words about being fulfilled and satisfied. And, and last week we talked about laughing and shouting joyfully before the Lord. All those things are promised us. Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. And the former things have passed away. We are going to dwell joyously with God in the house of the Lord. No more pain. All and be face to face with God. That beatific vision, that face to face with God and see him clearly, no longer dimly. We will be totally fulfilled. We will be totally at home. Okay? Our citizenship is at heaven, and we finally get to go home because that's where Christ is. That's how we started this. Heaven is where the abode of God is. Okay? We started the very first. When we talk about heaven, we talk about that place. It's the place where God is. And we are promised that we will be with him. The words we see here, abundant, glory, victorious, joyous, precious, eternal, Christ. It's all about Christ. That's where we wanted to start this. We wanted to try to achieve a biblical view of heaven. It's one that's Christ-centered. Remember, we started working from the back, going towards the center stage. Jesus Christ on the throne, the Lamb who was slain. And as we honor Christ, we honor the Father. As we worship Christ, we worship the Father. 
It's only in Christ that we approach the Father. And so for us, that, that view, that vision of being Christ-centered, seeing Him, heaven's about Christ, heaven's not about us. It's about being with Him. It's about all that He's done to bring us there. We are the bride of Christ. And then there's, there's one interesting um, verse which we want to kind of end our study. And it's 1 Corinthians 15, 23 through 24. And it says, But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, so Christ starting, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, those the redeemed, those are us, we have Christ, and we have us. And it says, and then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. And I presume that's, that's at the end of the millennium and, and because it's not the end of our life. We have eternal life, so it's an end as, as the fulfillment of all that Christ wants to do on the earth, that he turns and he gives it all to the Father. And because we're in Christ... We're there because we're in Christ. We're part of that process and we're part of the blessing that comes to it. And so we conclude that as we give our glory to Christ, the Father is glorified. As we worship Christ, the Father is worshipped. As we're in Christ, God is glorified. And so I hope as we've gone through that, this time, these four weeks, we've, we've focused on heaven being about God and not about cities paid with gold and love all around. They're not about all the different things, but it's about Christ and all he's done for us. And we gain all of that for all eternity. And so we have a glimpse of heaven, but Scripture tells us that it's even more glorious than even the glimpse that we have. And so let's pray. Let's give him thanks. Let's... Um, just be, come to him with a thankful heart to know that someday we will be with him. And we will join our family and loved ones who have gone on before us, who are there enjoying Christ even right now. And so, Lord, we come to you, and um, when we see the place that you've prepared for us, it's, um, it's unspeakable because we can't uh, fully comprehend it. But Lord, what we do know from the scripture, what we do know is you're at the center of it and you're our savior and we give you praise and honor and glory. And Lord, thank you for what you are going to just do for all eternity and uh, how you'll be glorified, how... Even your city is a majestic city, 1,400 miles wide by 1,400 miles deep and tall. Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, we uh, just come to you tonight. And Lord, for um, those that we know and love who have yet to put their faith in Christ, Lord, we pray that you bring them to you, cause them to see you that we could enjoy eternity with them, Lord. Salvation is yours. We ask that 
and plead. But we thank you, Lord, that uh, you've provided a gift of salvation. And uh, it's based upon your work and in your name that we pray and come to you. Amen.